Okay, I'm switching back my mic just to keep you living ready. Thank you, Ban, for serving us well. And they serve us well. Okay, you can only give them applause as a means of thank you if you want to. But all the praises to Jesus. Um, all the praises to Jesus. Hey, listen, how's your week been? All good, all good? Some of you are not sure. Maybe. Been all right, we're here, it's Sunday. Listen, I know we've got a good morning already underway and we're going to lean into the word together. I just want to thank you as I come to the word. I want to thank you for those who connected with the announcement we gave last week about Dignify and just bringing to your attention the work some of us are doing in championing young people to enjoy and thrive in healthy relationships. And we're doing that by challenging the normalising of pornography. And I mentioned last week that I had a meeting at West Hearts um, College, and I just want to say and give thanks for those of you who prayed. They are embedding the resources of Dignify into the whole college so that 6,000 young people will connect with a message that calls out all forms of sexual objectification by challenging the normalising of porn and championing healthy relationships. I think that is an amazing thing that God is doing, so he deserves some praise. And I just want to thank you for praying. We're also connecting with every single school in southwest Hertfordshire. The list is longer than I originally thought. I'm not going to go into details, but every single school, I've been in contact with them this week. And um, to some degree or other, they're all connecting, which is amazing. God is up to something. Listen, the team will be downstairs. If you want to find out some more, I will get there as quick as I can. But Nikki, maybe Vicky, there'll be whoever is going to be there. Just there's a little table. Look for people standing around loitering, looking like they want to chat with you. It won't be a scary conversation. But we would love you to sign up for our newsletters, our prayer emails, and also for an event we're hosting at West Hearts College, which is a dinner coming up soon. And we would love you to connect with it because we want to partner with more people as we introduce the Dignified Charter into the business world and into the entertainment industry, into the leisure industry, into the retail units. Because anywhere that children and young people go or will go, we want to be there to help them have a healthy place to thrive. So anyway, that's enough of that. You can connect in downstairs. We would love to connect. Now, have any of you ever seen a movie, the sort of movie that stays in like one take all the way through, either the whole movie or a really long scene? And so the camera never cuts, it never turns away, just the action just continues and continues and continues. And you go from character sometimes to character, but the, the, it just flows, do you know what I mean? There's no cut, there's no takes, just one take TV. You know, it's, it's all a bit of a white knuckle ride apparently for the actors and the directors and everyone behind the group. But nonetheless, it just days, no edits, no cuts. Well, we're going to look at a story today where if there were cameras and if John, the writer of the Gospels, if he could have been behind a camera, he would have said, we are not cutting, we are not putting any edits, we're just going to follow this story because Jesus is modelling something, showing something, speaking something that we need to catch the heart of because there is something of God in this for us. So we're going to do that. We're going to do this one take, no cuts, no edits, um, which obviously for people at home, they're used to me being edited because they have to every now and then. But, but we're not going to edit anything. We're not going to edit the word and we're not going to edit me. Um, so the reason why we're looking at this story is because it's fab and it's going to help us. So we're looking today, the big theme, if you like, of what we're looking at today is what it is to grow bolder in witness. Now, if you have been journeying with Wellspring for a while, you'll think, oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I know that. We're doing that. We're growing bolder in witness. And we are, and some of us are, but some of us aren't, because some of us have not yet lent fully in to what it means to grow bolder in witness. So we are growing bolder in witness. 
And we're going to do that. And David has specifically asked me, and he said this was the title he gave me, how to seize an opportunity and take part in it. Now, there's many personal examples I could give you about what this is, but we're just going to stick into the word because Jesus has modeled something about seizing an opportunity and take part in it. So the context of it, if you've got your Bibles, you'll need to turn to John 9. Brace yourself, we're going to read the whole chapter. But I'm going to make it as dramatic as possible to keep you as engaged as possible. Because you just have to, there's so much to it. But chapter 9 is not the beginning of the story. If we were doing this properly, you know, John's Gospel, one take, we would definitely have started in chapter 8. And we would definitely continue to chapter 10. But time does not permit. Um, So just the context behind John 9, so that you're really ready and engaged for this. I said we weren't going to cut edit or anything and I'm getting heckled. Okay, so apparently if you're a preschooler and you haven't already taken your adult out, you might want to do that. But if you're a young person, there's also youth, although it's a cracking sermon. Okay, interval over. Okay, if you want to imagine that, see they're all leaving now. There's no cuts, there's no edits, it's one take TV, with the exception of the interval. Okay, I'm not easily dissuaded. My timer is on and clicking down. Okay, so chapter eight, Jesus is out and about teaching, interrupted by the religious leaders, and ends up in some confrontations with the religious leaders. But he's unperturbed, he keeps going, Then we come to our story, and then he keeps teaching on after that. Now, in John 8, he starts with this, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in the darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, that's an important thing. He's setting something up. He's saying, okay, listen, the lights are turning on if you're with me, and we're going to walk all the way through, bye, without stepping into any darkness. Now, get your stories, get your chapters to chapter 9. Are you ready? I promise I'm not pausing anymore, other than to breathe. Right, chapter 9, I'm going to read it. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his teachers, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing His neighbours and others who knew him as a blind beggar who used to sit and beg said, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same man. They asked him, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. So it was a bit like work. The Pharisees asked the man about it. So he told them, he put the mud over my eyes. When I washed it away, I could see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man, Jesus, is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about the man who healed you? The man replied, I think he must have been a prophet. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked him, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? His parents replied, well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why they said, he's old enough, ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed. I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they cursed him and said, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. Why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and to do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has ever been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshipped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And then he goes on in this One Take TV into this amazing story as it unfolds and again talks about being the light of the world and again pressing into Jesus. But here's the point. We've got three quick points we're going to get from this story about what it is to grow bold in witness, what it is to seize an opportunity and take part of it. And first we see that Jesus activates it in the first place. He makes the first move. Jesus always makes the first move. However brilliant we feel we are at making the first move, we never made the first move. He's done it all already on the cross. But here are three quick thoughts. One, be quick and know when Jesus sends you. So at the very beginning, Jesus is saying to his disciples, as they're saying, is is he blind, is he not? They want a big theological discussion. He's saying, you're missing the point. It's not about theology, it's about relationship. Anyway, he says, we must carry out, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned for us by the one who sent us. This is so important to understand if we want to grow and seize the opportunity of growing as bold and witness. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us 
by the one who sent us. Later on, he's speaking to the blind man. He's making some mud. Does it remind you of the creation story when people were made out of mud? Well, here we've got you know, mud being made, slapped on the eyes, a recreation coming, a new life coming into his very eyes. And he sent this blind man off to the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And it is literally because the water had been redirected. The water had been sent into a certain direction. So he was prophesying, OK, I am recreating you through the mud, I am then sending you as if into baptisms to wash and you, the new creation, will now be able to see. He was sending him as a sent one, so I'm saving you and sending you. And he wanted this quick response. If this blind man went, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that actually. I just would like the mud mask. If he didn't follow through and respond, then there's a miracle being missed and an opportunity to actually give glory to God and share witness for God. So we have to be able to respond quickly to where we're sent. And here's the challenge. We're not so quick. We overthink. We spiral into, oh, I don't know if I should. Oh, I don't know. No, maybe I won't. Oh, I missed the opportunity anyway. Because the opportunities come and we're not quick enough. Or we don't realize we're sent. And you just think you turn up at work because, well, you've got a job to do. And you don't realize you're sent to work every day. Or you just go home every day and you put your key in the door because, well, that's where you live. And it would be rude to go into someone else's house when you don't live there. So you just go to your house and you don't realise you're sent to that neighbourhood. Or you look at the person in your house that you happen to share it with. You might have chosen them. They might be your spouse. And you don't realise you're sent into that relationship. We have to act quickly for where we are sent. And we don't realise how much purpose Jesus has where he has placed us. We would grow in boldness if we would just be quick to fulfill the one who sent us. Now, John's got some amazing themes, and I don't have time to go into all of them. But if you read through the whole of John, I give you the challenge, I won't do it now. If you read through the whole of John, then you would see some themes threading through. Because if you remember just a little bit earlier in John, in about 9, chapter 9, that's where we were, in John 5, this is what Jesus says in John 5, verses um, 19 and 20. He says this, and you'll remember it. So Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And later on, after our one-take big story, you get to about John 10, and there Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you can do what I can do and only more, or words to that effect. So there is this essence of, okay, lean into me. I'm going to give you tasks to do. I'm going to give you missions to do. I'm going to commission and send you. Why? Because I want you to be a bold witness where you live, where you work, where you connect. All good so far? Okay. Some of you are looking marginally scared, but it's all good. There's only two more points, and we're nearly there. So the second point, now brace yourself, because some of you won't like this one. Tim didn't. I said, really? Must you phrase it like that? Can't you phrase it a bit more godly? No, he didn't quite say it. Okay, listen, this is the second point. <laughs> it's okay not to know where Jesus is. Tim's like, don't leave him hanging there. Please don't leave him hanging there. It's really okay to not know Jesus where he is. Now, all the theologians in the room going, he's omnipresent, Helen. Get there quicker. He's omnipresent. We have his spirit. Yes, yes, but there's just this amazing bit in this story. And if we rush it, we miss it. And this is what we need to seize hold of and take hold of because we want to grow bold and witness, right? Okay, so here the beggar is being, he's been healed, new creation, sent, washed, come up. Oh, look, I can heal. And everyone's going, what? You can see? What? How did that happen? And he's saying, mud and spit, you know, this is, and then they say this brilliant question. 
Where is he now? I don't know. It didn't take away from his healing. It didn't take away from the moment. It's not going to diminish his witness. But in that moment, he did not know. Now, the truth is, as far as I know, Jesus was a very fit man, but he wasn't a marathon sprinter. So he was somewhere in the vicinity. He hadn't disappeared. But you know what? The blind man hadn't seen him yet. He didn't know what he looked like. I don't know where he is. Now, the problem with some of our witnesses, we don't know where Jesus is. So because we don't know where Jesus is, we stop saying what we do know. So we don't know where. Let's be honest. I'll just throw out some examples. I'm not going to solve any of these crises in this minute. I'm just going to stir you up and upset you. We don't know where Jesus is always in the earthquakes. We don't know where Jesus always is in the famines. We see genocides and atrocities caused by humans. And let's be honest, we don't know where Jesus always is. We don't even know where Jesus is in some of the really important conversations that we know we need to get involved in, but we don't know where Jesus is. So conversations about trans or bipolar, or I don't mean bipolar, or non-binary. Well, bipolar, that's a good conversation to also have. But we don't know where Jesus sits in some of these conversations, and so we don't go there. And instead, we don't even say what we do know. Whereas this blind man, let's give him a name. I feel it's rude to say blind man. Give him a name, quick. What? Deji, we're calling the blind man Deji. You want to go there? All right. The blind man Deji, who can now see. Okay, Deji, I never thought I'd get a volunteer name of the right. But we're... <laughs> this see is prophetic. This seeing man doesn't know what Jesus looks like, but he does know what Jesus has done for him. And so he says what he knows. And it's okay that we don't. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing, is at the end of this chapter... Jesus goes and finds him again because he knows the condition of the man's heart. He knows the man loves him already. He just doesn't know how to join the dots of connecting it. And so he goes again and he sees the man and say, hello, I'd just like to introduce myself. And the man's response, Deji's response, worship. He worships him. You see, when we grow as bold and witness, it triggers us to realize the need of Jesus even more. And this is how our spirit-filled, wholehearted worship will come because it's this circle of our growth that we need him, we need him, we have him, we take him. We need him, we need him, we have him, we take him. So here, this man, it is okay. It is okay that he didn't know where Jesus is. I think it's the absolute best answer ever. Yeah, I don't know. If we would just recognize the limits to our knowledge and just say what we do know. This week, I, um, I had the dubious privilege of um, speaking at the, a local Bible college known to many of you here, like some of you are graduates of London School of Theology. Now, I was going to go because I was going to be talking about Dignify, quite happy in this space of a theological context talking about porn for some reason. But then they said, well, would you come and also preach in the chapel? Of course I will, I said, because, you know, I'm going to, you know, speaking about porn later, it's all fine to talk about Jesus first. I said this to Tim, it's like, I'm going to go to the LST, I'm going to go, be any, you're speaking in the chapel. Wow, that's a really tough gig. At that point, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm speaking to theologians. And at that point, I started wetting my pants. And this was, you know, these are big old pants, so that's a lot of wet. And this was a few months ago. But then, they cancelled the porn bit. Ah, I was just going to speak about Jesus to theologians. Honestly, Terror, terror, traumatized, 
traumatized at the thought, how can I go speak to theologians about Jesus? And I had to really reconcile this. And Tim's going, you just don't, just don't go into areas you don't know. Like, don't, <laughs> don't pretend. <laughs> it's like, oh, you, I'm sure you were building me up, really. Um, <laughs> just not so you'd notice. Um, but I was just utterly terrified. And in the end, this is what the Lord said to me. The morning when I was just praying, not Tim, the Lord, just in case you've got any uncertainty. This is what the Lord said. He just, just go be you and be a mum in that place. Because I feel like that's within my remit. <laughs> I just go love them, be like a mum. Now, it was marginally still terrifying, especially when they introduced me as a Pentecostal. It's like, oh my gosh, the man who's just written a book about Pentecostals then says I'm a Pentecostal. It's like, oh my gosh, I haven't read your book. How are you defining me? <laughs> anyway, listen, let's come to the... So we've had, it's okay not to know where Jesus is. And before that, we've had, be quick, because when Jesus sends you, he's got some purpose in there. It's okay, we don't know where Jesus is all the time because then we can seek him. And finally, the third wisdom to seize, and this will help you, I promise it will help you, if nothing else will, this will. And if not, money back guarantee, see David. We have got this third point. Seize Jesus and not the fear. I tell you, if we could understand fear and kick that to the curb, we could grow bolder in witness. So let's look at the scripture as to why I say this. Okay, so the man, Deji, is just bringing it out, saying it as it was. This is what happened. Time after time, he's questioned. And Deji is a very funny man. Turns out he's a very funny man. I, I found him funny and you laugh when I read it. But he just keeps going back. I'm just going to say it again. I'm just going to say it again. But then what happens is his parents are brought in. This is every child's nightmare, isn't it? Bring your parents in. <laughs> The parents are brought in. Okay, listen, you need to give account. Is this your son? Was he blind? We don't really know what's going on. And the parents, the parents, oh, bless them. They hadn't yet met Jesus. And the transformation of their son was not enough for them to fully be confident in, let's risk it for this person, Jesus. They were still afraid. And you get this in um, verse 22. So his, oh, verse 20, his parents said, we know this is our son. He was born blind. We don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him, he's old enough. He, they asked, he said, that, go to the child that is an adult, Deji. Now his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So we need to know the what and the who of our fear. The who for the parents was they were afraid of the religious leaders. The what is they were afraid of being expelled from the temple. What stops you from being a witness for Jesus, from saying what you see, will be a who and a what? Who are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? It might be that you're afraid of losing your promotion at work. It might be that you're afraid of being ridiculed. It might be the afraid that you're, you're afraid of being found out for not knowing enough. And unlike the blind man, you're not confident yet to be able to say, oh, I don't know the rest, I just know this. But if we could understand that the people around us cannot hurt us in comparison to the protection that Jesus offers us, he's got a purpose. So even though this blind man was interrogated twice, although by my maths it's three times, but John says it second time, so I'm going to go with his maths. But for mine, I would, I would say this is three times they kept coming back. But they kept asking, and even though 
he didn't have all the answers. He was confident. He wasn't going to be afraid. He wasn't afraid of being kicked out of the, of the synagogue. Why? Because he hadn't been allowed in the synagogue in the first place. He wasn't afraid of being ridiculed by people. Why? Because he was already ridiculed. So what did he got to lose? If our reputation is the thing that we worry about the most, we will be restricted in our witness and we won't grow bolder. Okay, listen, one minute to close. Let me remind you of where we've gone. And I want you to think, okay, that's me. And I want you to grab the thought so that this week, from the moment you leave this building, you can put this in practice. Now, there may be some people who have yet to give their life to Jesus in the room, but, you know, we're not all going to line up and witness to them. You're safe, <laughs> if that's you. We're not all going to line up. We're not going to practice anything in this room. Our response is a commitment in heart that is going to take us into our neighborhood, that is going to take us into our workplace, that's going to take us into our family, that's going to take us into this week. So my question to you is, are you quick when Jesus sends you? Do you know where Jesus is sending you? Do you know what Jesus is asking you to do? Can you lean in to his purposes for your life, for the significance of your postcode, for the significance of your place of work, if you're privileged enough to have a job, for your place of study, for your place of family, for your place of community? Can you lean in to the purposes that Jesus has for you and pivot your purposes around Jesus in that place? Do you need to be quicker to own it? to say what you see. Can you reconcile that it's okay to not always know where Jesus is? It's okay to not have all answers to every question. Just say what you do know. Say what you have experienced. Explain Jesus to the depth that you know Jesus. Make him known where you are and then lean in because the good news is Jesus is coming at you because he loves you and he will reveal himself more and more and more and more. So however much you know him, you will know him more if you seek him. And finally, would you be willing to seize Jesus, not fear? I was having a conversation with somebody earlier. I won't name them. Um, but the, the conversation went along the lines of, um, when we step out to be bolder in witness, we're always slammed. Like attack always happens. I know that Deji was asked questions three times. Like the guy probably just wanted to sit down and have a cup of tea. He'd been through an experience. He needed a moment. But there were questions coming. But my challenge then and my challenge now is, okay, let's see what Jesus is doing, not the enemy. Let's focus on the opportunities that Jesus brings when we step out bolder in our witness, not the attack that comes. He wasn't, you know, leaning in, oh, Pharisees, let me have a cup of tea with you. Let me speak to you. I really want to get to know you. He's like, no, I want to get to know Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week, even as I encourage myself, let's lean into Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal him more and more and more as we grow bolder in our witness and seize every opportunity and take part.